was thinking about something this morning, so uh, in case you can't tell, I do have a cold this morning, and I'll preface it with this. I've, I've passed multiple COVID tests this week, um, so I do have a cold, but I always think about one time I preached uh, when we lived in Illinois, and, and one of the moms from one of our students goes, oh, your voice sounds so great today. I was like super sick, and she said, um, if you could sound like that every week, I was like, well, I'd love to, but I don't want the cold to go with it, so um, I can't help you on that. But, but I was thinking, have you ever found yourself going from one great moment or experience to another, and then noticing that there's like this lull or this valley between them? Um, you know, this, this time when everything goes well, and then all of a sudden you go from the moment of, of euphoric joy to exhaustion, right? We kind of experienced that on Thursday this week. Um, we, we went to visit my, my grandmother who just turned 99 and my parents, and on the way there, kids were kind of excited to go see grandma and grandpa, and um, that lasted until we hit Indiana on Interstate 65, and a semi had gone across the road, and we were stopped for three hours to go three miles. Um, and it was fitting that as I looked to my left at one point on that drive, that three-mile stretch, there was a billboard that said, hell is real. And I thought, yes, it is. I'm experiencing it right now. Um, I should also add this part of the story because he's not in here anymore. But my son, we, we actually stayed at a hotel. We had hotel points anyway. And, and there was a hot tub. And he goes, if that's a hot tub, I'm going to raise a hallelujah, Dad. And I was like, okay, so there you go. Um, so we went from... Hell to hallelujah all in the same day, which is kind of fitting, right? Because that's what it often feels like. We go from an incredible experience to feeling, to feeling defeated or exhausted. And why is it we go from moments of accomplishment or good things to moments of despair? And how we can go even in terms of our spiritual life, sometimes we go from spiritual high to spiritual low, and it doesn't take long, and we're not sure why that happens, right? We have these, we call them mountaintop moments, right, with God, where we sense like we know God, and we have been in His presence, and these great things have happened, and then we find, we have been asked these questions, God, where are you? You felt so real and so near, and why am I experiencing this difficulty, this thing I'm going through? Why, why is this going on? Right, I remember I worked in student ministry for about a decade, and I remember taking teenagers especially. We would go to these conferences or have retreats or whatever, and they would have these incredible moments where that God felt so real to them. And then a week or two later, I would be in my office talking with them about the fact they said, I'm not even sure if I believe in Jesus anymore. Have you ever felt that? You go from this incredible high to this incredible low, and we feel disconnected from God. This moment we feel connected to the divine creator in some way, and then we, and the next moment we go, I, are you real? Do you exist? Are you present with me at all? And so what I've come to believe over time is this, that learning to live in between the mountaintop experiences might just be the key to connection with God. And if you are struggling in this way in your own life, don't be shocked or afraid I feel like you're alone. Maybe you've heard of the prophet Elijah, um, and really this is kind of his story. Um, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, predominantly seen in the book of First and Second Kings, but, but Elijah is even referenced in the New Testament. They said, is Jesus Elijah again, right? Is this John the Baptist? Who, who is this guy? Elijah was considered one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel, and Elijah was a prophet, meaning this, he was a truth 
teller. Not a future teller, but a truth teller. That's what the prophets were in the scriptures. And so he predominantly spoke into the nation of Israel right at the death of Solomon. The kingdom was split in two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And he spoke to Israel and he spoke to the kings. And we have this scene over and over again where it was like king making poor decisions, saying bad things, doing dumb stuff. And Elijah would speak into these moments. And what we begin to see is this. Um, Elijah spoke truth, which wasn't always popular. In fact, what we find is his truth often would have made him unpopular, especially when he begins with this. There will be no rain except at my word. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in agricultural society, rain's pretty important. We don't eat if it doesn't rain. And he said it wasn't going to. And at first glance, you might go, wait, this guy kind of arrogant? No. He just knew who he was and knew who he spoke for. And he lived in such close relationship with God that he was able to speak the very words of God. And I want to say this today. I want us all to come to know God in such a way that God speaks to us in that way. My only caveat would be this. Sometimes people say they speak for God, yet no one else thinks they speak for God. That probably means they don't speak for God. Because no one ever doubted that Elijah spoke the very words of God. They just didn't like what Elijah had to say. Right? I want to be clear here. We want to learn to know God so well that we can speak the very words of God, but don't assume that we just know God because we want to. Others will begin to affirm in our lives that we begin to speak with wisdom that only comes from him. And so then you see Elijah, right? He goes off and, and, and ravens feed him. It's the story. It's weird, right? God made sure he's, he has enough provision from these ravens. And he's at this brook, and the brook dries up. God, didn't you tell me you were going to do this stuff? Didn't you, didn't you say you'd be near to me? What, what do I do about this? This brook has dried up. Food is not coming. And so in the middle of a drought, we see the scene where Elijah goes to this widow. This widow in Zarephath. And he goes there and he speaks these words to her and here's what we see. He goes to her and he says, by the way, I, I want a drink and a piece of bread. And she goes, oh, ooh, here we go. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Listen to what comes next. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Are you going to read the story? Oh, cool, cool story. But I don't know if we get the gravity of what happens. This woman is making a last meal, a last supper for her and her son, And Elijah shows up, who she doesn't know who he is, and he says, I'm from the Lord. And you need to make a meal for me first, and then God will bless you. And you'll never run out. 
Now, do we catch the depth of what she does? She goes home and she makes for Elijah first. In other words, she trusts God with everything, not with what's left. And I, I, I read that this week, and I kept coming back to this same thing. This question, do you and I trust God first or only with what we have left? Is he the first priority in our life? Is he the thing we trust everything to? Like our, our, our in this instance, her, her wealth, her everything she had, we trust your livelihood, we trust it to me, or is it an afterthought to how you live your life? And not only does she find that she has enough food for her and her son and Elijah for the time being, then eventually her son gets sick and he dies and Elijah prays and he comes back to life. I know, crazy story. But there's something about she began to live as if she trusted God first. And when her son died, she knew, she went to Elijah and said, hey Elijah, will you pray? I trust that you know God so deeply that you can speak and God will listen. And then we see this next kind of scene in Elijah's life. He encounters a guy named by the name of Obadiah, and Obadiah is um, the palace administrator for the king, for King Ahab. And Obadiah is a good guy. He follows after God, and he wants to be like, in right relationship with God. But the problem is, during this time in Israel's history, Ahab is king, and his wife is named Jezebel. And you've heard, like, maybe if you grew up in church, you heard about people calling women Jezebels. Not a great compliment, by the way. This is why. Jezebel was a woman who didn't believe in God. In fact, she was in, believed in her own gods, um, and, and so she was putting to death the prophets of God. And so Obadiah had hid many of them, and so he encounters Elijah, and we see this scene unfold. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Well, so I should, I should give you this part, right? Um, Obadiah and Elijah have a conversation. Right? And, and Obadiah says, I, I'm not about to tell the king I encountered you, because if I tell him I encountered you, he wants you killed. And if you don't go back and see him, I'm going to be the one who's killed. And Elijah says, I will go talk with the king today. Today, he and I will enter in conversation. So here's what we see. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now some of the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, if you want to learn something kind of new, um, Baal is the way we say the word, but the word is actually Baal, Ba, B-A, all, Baal. I just say Baal because it's easier, because most people understand it that way, and you read it that way. But there you go. There's a new thing you learned today. Um, But the people find themselves in this place where, am I going to choose to follow God? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who has said, I will make you a people, the one who was the one that David followed and Solomon after, and all the best kings in Israel's history followed after this God, and, and all the patriarchs and all those who had come before, or are we so afraid of Jezebel 
and her influence that we're going to choose to follow the God of Baal. Right? If you're going to flip this for our context, right? Are we going to choose to follow God first? Or are we going to choose to buy into consumerism and materialism, and and we're going to buy into the things that are the greatest value in our day, or even politics? I mean, like th- that's the question: Are you going to buy into this, or are you going to trust God with everything? What gets you our allegiance? And I love this line, not because it's great, but because it's probably true. But the people said nothing. They don't know where their loyalty lies. They don't know. They haven't decided, is like this God of the mountaintop experience, is he real, right? Am I going to choose the unpopular thing in this place or not? And so we see the scene that unfolds next is kind of a, I mean, it's kind of a weird and cool scene all at the same time. Elijah says to them, he said, I've got a proposal for the prophets of Baal and me, right? I'm a prophet of God. So here's what we're going to do. How about we each get bulls and we'll slaughter the bulls and we'll put them on altars of sacrifice and then we'll pray to our gods, our separate gods, and the God that actually brings down fire and burns up the sacrifice, that's the one who's the real God. And so the prophet said, seems like a great idea to us. Now, I need to pause for a second, because if you're like me, you're like, why do we do animal sacrifice? This seems like a bad idea. Okay, well, in all ancient religions, there was a belief and a need that at some level we either need to atone for our sins... Or, at minimum, we need to appease the gods. This is not a new thing in human history. This is the reality of what people have bought into. And so this is the scene. The prophets of Baal, 400 of them, and Elijah by himself. And here's what the scripture says. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your god, but did not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. I love this. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel 
and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And they were turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Right, pretty cool moment if you're Elijah. I mean, forget the 400 prophets of Baal, but I, forget Jezebel. Like, I, look, look at what God just did. This guy that I follow, look what he just did. And not only that, remember I told you earlier that Elijah said, until I say it will not rain. And so then he says to King Ahab, hey, you better hurry home because it's about to rain. And then we see these next words. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. It's like 15 miles. Elijah outruns the horse and chariot. I pray it rains. I pray God burns this stuff up. I'm so filled with God's presence that I can outrun a chariot. I'm not saying this guy was training for marathons. Like, he wasn't like a world-class runner. I mean, this is like a crazy story. Um, Does it get to be more of a spiritual high than what Elijah was probably feeling? The answer is probably not. And if there's a flaw in Elijah's story, it's what we see happen next. Ahab gets home, and he says to his wife Jezebel, guess what just happened? That Elijah guy that we don't like, that guy that we say we don't follow, he must be real because they got a bail, didn't do anything. And then Jezebel basically says this, she said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if like one of these other prophets, he's not killed. And so you think if I'm Elijah, right, I mean done some pretty cool stuff by the power of God, right? I, I prayed a kid came back to life. Um, I, I've been present watching food multiply with a widow and I. I just had this whole experience on Mount Carmel. I just ran a marathon faster than a horse. I mean, like, pretty impressive stuff. And so you would think Elijah is not scared, but Elijah is petrified. He runs away scared of this woman. Now, I'm not knocking women. That's not my point here. But can you imagine you've done all this stuff and now you're scared of a single woman? He's afraid. He's scared for his life. In fact, the scripture says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. But he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There he went into a cave and spent the night. I think we can skip over what happens in this section too often. Elijah is like a lot of us when we're at the end of our rope. Have you ever felt like it's just too hard to live? You just don't want to go on? You don't know what's next in the journey, and it might just be easier if I just died. The next step seems so uncertain. And what we see in this moment, we begin to recognize it's in the toughest moments of our life that God can sustain us, that he is present with us in the midst of our heartache and our shame and our pain. God is present. And God doesn't want to leave us where he finds us when we're at our weakest or our lowest. He wants to send us on our way so that that's not where we stay. So that place in the valley, that's what David writes about the valley, the shadow of death. He doesn't want Elijah to live in that place of the shadow of death. What we begin to see is Elijah goes off and he goes to Mount Horeb and you're like, okay, where is that? Well, how about if I said Mount Sinai, the place where Moses got the Ten Commandments is known as the mountain of God. And off Elijah goes to this place and he gets there and here's what he hears Scripture says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So Elijah, God himself is going to show up near you and check out what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I love this part of the story because I think for so many of us, for so often, we look for God in all the biggest moments these mountaintop experiences, these Super Bowl events, these things that are so incredible. We think, well, God, if you don't show up on this, like, then you just must not be real. But it's not that God isn't present in those things. It's that we often don't hear God in those moments. What we begin to find is this, that God is present in the littlest moments of life, in the mundane things, in our eating, in our drinking, and our sleeping. And Elijah hears God in a whisper. And so the question I have for you and I is, when are you and I spending time in such quiet that we can actually hear God whisper to us? Or do we even make time in our life? Or is it so loud and so busy that we never have a moment where God can whisper that we might actually hear him? Do we set aside that time to allow God to speak? And next we see, as God passes by, Elijah tells God about his fears. He acknowledges they exist. He doesn't act like it's not real. And he says, God, here's, here's where I am. Here's where I'm struggling. He says this. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God, I've done all the things that you've asked of me. I've done everything I could. I'm trying to be the guy you've asked me to be, but I don't know what to do because... Now they still want to kill me. And I just want to die. 
I've had enough. But he begins to recognize that if we'll trust our fears to God, God will use us in ways we never imagined. In fact, I would say this, once Elijah was willing to trust his fears to God, um, God used him in a unique way. In fact, I would say that he used him in an even greater way, and it's in this way. Um, Elijah begins to invest in a prophet named Elisha. And I would argue Elisha was way more impactful than Elijah. I think he did even greater things than Elijah. And so what we begin to ask this thing, this reality is this, is that the second half of Elijah's life is multiplied by his investment in Eli- Elisha, right? Elijah and Elisha, I know. Could we have gotten better names, easier, people close together? But the question for you and I is this, who are you investing in? Especially for the second half of our life. You're like, what, what counts as second half of life? Well, in the nicest way, the average death age in America for men is 74 and for women is 77. So that means if you're 40 and over, you're in the second half of life. Some of you are going, whoo, just made it under that. But if you're over 40, you are considered the second half of life. And so my question remains, who are you investing in? All right, I got to share this kind of story. It's really exciting. It has nothing to do with Elijah as much as does Elisha. Like I said, I like Elisha more, but here's his story. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Why do I love that story? Because what Elisha does is pretty incredible if you don't catch it all in one moment, right? Elisha says, okay, I know you're the man of God. I'm going to follow you because I believe you're following God. And not only am I going to do that, but I don't know if you caught this, but, but the number of oxen Elisha had, the dude was rich, like really wealthy, and he leaves everything he knows, and now you go, well, he, didn't, he could have gone back to it. No, he couldn't. Did you guess what he did? He slaughtered it, had a feast for those that were a part of his father's household, right? He had this big party for them, come and eat, eat all this, and he burned up all the equipment. In other words, he said, God, I'm all in. I'm not going to go back, I'm only going forward, right? He goes all in with God in a way that you and I probably can't ever really comprehend, and he goes back to Elijah and says, all right, I'm in. I'm in, I'm following you, because I believe you're following God, and I want to do that with my life. All right, that's, that's Elijah. I'm going to skip him now. Back to Elijah. Uh, but Elijah doesn't quit being used by God. We see again in chapter 21 of 1 Kings, again in chapter 1, God speaks to him, he speaks to the people. God continues to use Elijah in spite of the fact that he was afraid, and he ran for his life, and he didn't trust God. God was not done using him in spite of his flaws. But I believe the greatest thing of Elijah's ministry was his investment in the next generation and the one to come after him. In fact, here's what we see at the end of Elijah's life. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? 
Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. If you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Elijah left everything to the next generation. I mean, I don't think I get to pick how I die. I don't think I have that power. But man, it'd be sweet to go out like Elijah. I'm in. Probably not going to happen. More like I get hit by a bus, right? I mean, like, let's be honest. Be a chariot hit me, but also known as the city bus. So, um, Elijah went out by investing in Elisha. And so at least this thing, but for us, our greatest investment for God is likely seen in how we pass on our faith to others. Right? The greatest investment you will probably ever make in the kingdom of God is how you pass on your faith to others. Who are you passing it on to? Who are you mentoring? Who are you discipling? And if the answer is no one, then shame on you. Right? I know we said no shame earlier in the song. Like, I'm pro that. But step it up then. It's not too late. And we've also sung another, another line before. If, if I'm not dead, God's not done. I may, I may be screwing that up. That's fine. It doesn't matter. The point's still true. If you're still breathing, God still wants to use you. Your fears and your flaws and all. But one of the greatest things we can leave is a lasting impact on others. And what we can learn from Elijah is this, that... We can often find God between the mountaintop experiences, right? We all have had moments, hopefully, where we have felt like God is so close and so near. But when we learn to live in between those mountaintop experiences, we find that God's presence becomes more real and more real. It becomes a day in and day out thing. It's why, it's why I remember talking to students again and again going, hey, listen, I think these moments, these mountaintop experiences in our life are incredible. They're so, so good. But if you'll learn to walk with God day in and day out, those just become blips in your rhythm of life, instead of the things you have to always look to because you forgot that he's present in the mundane. That's why spending time daily with God matters so much. Spend time in prayer. Read the scriptures. Right? We have resources available and, and the welcome center. You can, there's a whole sheet of stuff that you can look into and begin to study and read and learn. And there are apps that will send you daily reminders. I mean, we, we will help you if you're serious about coming to know who God is more and more. Because it begs this question, if God were to whisper to you, would you ever be in a space where you could hear it? And then I want us to catch one thing that's incredibly important throughout this whole story and really all throughout the scriptures. God is present with us in all things. It doesn't mean that there aren't hard things 
It doesn't mean we aren't going to wish we were dead. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be moments that life is really difficult or we lose someone we love, but it means in the midst of those heartaches and those pains that God is present with us. And so what we begin to find is we learn to live in these valleys between these mountaintops that we begin to know God's presence in unique and life-changing ways. In fact, I would say it this way. We see this in the very essence of the person of Jesus. Right, Jesus lived as this man who was fully God and fully human. I know, weird, we could talk about it for a long time, but let's just think of it this way for a second, right? This guy who was ordinary man was connected to an extraordinary father so that he could live the mundane moments of life just like you and I connected to God, creator and sustainer of all. And you and I are invited into a relationship with God, just like Jesus, that we find that God is present when we eat, when we sleep, when we take naps, right? when we hang out with friends, that somehow God is so present with us that we can live connected to the Father in that unique way, regardless of our fears and our flaws. And so we can learn to live not just from mountaintop to mountaintop, but we can recognize that God is present in the valley in between. It's the invitation throughout this whole series of this to find there are people all throughout the scriptures. We talked about David last week. Right? It doesn't matter who we're talking about. That God uses us in spite of our flaws. And you and I might be called to be the next generation's flawed hero of the faith. And so what might happen if you and I would begin to trust that God can come to us as we are where we are. We don't have to be defined by our past, but we can recognize that we can look to a better future. We can invest in the next generation. And we might find that not only are we called to be Elijah in our life, but we're to look for who is the Elisha that we are to invest in and leave a legacy behind. And if we're not doing that, the question we come back to is this. When the people of Israel found Elijah on Mount Carmel saying, who are you going to serve? The God of Baal, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're like, I I don't know. They didn't make a decision. See, the reality for you and I is this. If we don't go all in on that, then we too are in the same space going I haven't decided yet. And so my hope and prayer for you and I is that we would choose above all else, in spite of our flaws, in spite of our past, that we trust our present and our future to God. And we come to know the fullness of who God is in coming to know more and more who the person of Jesus is. And as John writes, God is love. We pray with me this morning as we pray to sing. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this space. For the way you love us, for the way you invite us near, for the way you come to us as we are, where we are, that you desire to do a work in and through us that only you can do. Father, help us to trust you in our great moments on mountaintops, in our moments in the valleys, and everywhere in between. And so today, if we find ourselves on on a mountain or in a valley, that we might know that you are present with us in the midst of that. We might learn to recognize your presence day in and day out in the whispers of life and the ordinary things that we do. Father, we do pray today that you might help us to see who is the person or persons that I need to be investing in so that more people can come to know the depth of your love and your grace and your mercy. So that we too might come to know the depth of the God who is love. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.